0: Good evening, Anchorage, Alaska, the lower 48, and the rest of the world. This is Bruce Lindquist with his podcast, Wonderful Counselor. If you knew, I mean really knew, the day you were going to die, how would that affect your life? That's a fair question. Dare I say in a day and age of all this talk about inclusivity, you can't get more inclusive than that. The question cuts right down to the heart of the matter. The right question does that doesn't matter what you look like, how you identify, how much money you have, what school you did or didn't go to, how famous or rejected your life experience has been, your politics, whether you're far right or far left or somewhere in the middle, your faith or lack thereof, we're all going to die. If you want equality, death levels the playing field. If you've been following this podcast, you know if you dare to love someone, you're going to be hurt. That's the price for love which is ultimately, in the end, death, if left to our own devices. You can rant about that, say how unfair it is, try to redefine it, have social justice campaigns against it with indoctrination starting in kindergarten. You can make it a new social class of people identifying as I'm not going to die. You write books about it, try to get it banned as hate speech, or create a social media woke mob against it, saying it's racist or conspiracy theory or part of a mega plot to overthrow the government. You can burn down cemeteries or mausoleums in protest. You can bring it before the President and Congress and Senate and present your case before the Supreme Court. You can have all the people in the world vote against it, but death doesn't care because you have nothing to threaten it with. Death doesn't acknowledge your title, how many people agree with you, or your accomplishments. In fact, death mocks your self-importance, scoffs at your grandiose delusions, and shatters your narrative that you are God as you are eventually laid into the ground as a misdiagnosed fallen deity. So you may be saying, why live at all? If it's all this meaningless as a flesh rotting grave, why bother to breathe yourself to death? Why go through the heartbreak and pain? Why not just save yourself the trouble and check out early if death wins anyway? Well unfortunately many people do that. Those numbers are increasing, and this is an exaggeration. Look up research studies. Human beings are choosing to die at an alarming rate. The reasons vary on the study, but the basis premise is this. Most find life not worth the pain of living. And all the technology in the world does nothing for the emptiness of the human soul. You can't distract yourself with your phone or your computer, or for the latest image of porn, or drink or take any drug. Your drug dealer, AI, will not save you. There's not a YouTube video on this. Uh, to give you knowledge or strength to somehow avoid your demise now if you're following this podcast series you know death has tried and come up wanting in trying to take the life of a ten year old boy named Bo it wasn't due to a lack of effort death inspired his drunken dad to almost beat Bo to the grave multiple times death tried to burn him alive in the raging house fire death tried to seduce him to have his own prejudice against those in the white sheets and become just like them. He could have easily become the one who hunted down the clansmen and burned him alive, or who slaughtered the hundred men, or who tortured a friend leaving nothing but skinless body and hollow eyes that still haunt anyone who saw them today. He could have even have hung himself off Last Chance Bridge. Death tried calling him into its row, like he did his grandfather before his Great Awakening. No death had its chances, and if that wasn't enough, he survived not just one, but two commas. It seemed as if death needed to find an easier prey. Perhaps you. Oh, I realize that's not conversation for polite company. But the fact of the matter is, you're going to eventually die. And there's nothing you can do about it. So what, what would such a man have to say about his life and death? And more importantly, what can we learn from him? As we go on our journey from cradle to grave and beyond. This episode answers that specific question. This is the last chapter of the 14th episode miniseries titled The Preacher's Kid Who Learned to Fight Like the Devil. And if you haven't listened to episode 1, The Prayer, through episode 13, Out of Darkness, I encourage you to do so. Now for episode 14. This is the last episode of the miniseries, and it's titled The Final Battle. Once again, let's use that God-given imagination of yours. It's time to visit that sleepy small town in Alabama. But not in the 50s, as was the setting time for most of this podcast. But today, the day of our Lord, July 29th, 2023. A day of record heat, temperatures around the United States were literally, it feels like you're being thrown from the frying pan into the fire. And if that wasn't ominous enough, technology is threatening our very existence as man made the machine in his image, and the machine is about to return the favor. Now, if you've ever spent time in a hospital room, you have no problem picturing what that experience is like. The smells of a sterile environment flood your nostrils like swimming underwater in a chlorinated pool, lights blinking on and off from machines entrusted with monitoring your vital signs, and in the case of Pastor Charles Oakley I, your life, as they were breathing for him and completing all life functions needed while he lay in his second coma. The odds say the le- at least they weren't good for a favorable prognosis for Calvin, for he'd been in a coma not for just for a few days, but for months. Now, while there are record times in histories where a person did survive a coma, this long to be fully functioning, even the doctors called it a miracle when he opened his eyes and spoke. Still, they were not about to give him the green light to leave the hospital. Calvin, however, spoke to his doctor, I want to be discharged today. Dr. Young, I have a sermon to preach in the morning. The doctor looked at Calvin. Your body needs time to recover. While it seems your brain is functioning and your heart is back to normal, we need to run more tests and observe for you for at least another week. Charles looked into the doctor's kind eyes. He has known him for a long time and respected his professional advice. However, this would be the first time he would not be following it. Doc. It is like this, Calvin said. The good Lord says I am meeting him tomorrow. After I give the word, he has given me. I am not going to meet him in a hospital lying down on the job when I go. I want to be doing as well. Now I am leaving. Either prepare the discharge paperwork or I will sign out AMA. The doctor told Calvin, I believe the miracle took place. I have no other explanation. However, I would be potentially signing your death warrant. And I'm not willing to do that, Calvin. Calvin looked at the doctor. It is not your choice, it is mine. And with that, the nurse came in, unhooked him from all the machines, Calvin got dressed, and left the hospital with his brothers. Now Calvin's full name was Calvin Wrigley Oakley I, but his brothers called him Big Bo. He's over 80 years old, and has been a preacher for many years. Calvin looked at his brothers, Rig and Josh. Not those same young kids, who they had so many fun adventures with, no, they were in their 70s, but still had a heart to follow after Jesus, wherever God had in store for them. Rig was a missionary doctor. He traveled all over the world sharing the gospel of Christ. He was on teams with other believers, who at times healed the sick through conventional means, but other times through the healing of the Holy Spirit. He saw many around the world come to Christ and often stayed and discipled many in villages and cities. The Lord called him back from Africa, though to his brother's bedside because something miraculous was going to happen. Josh was led by the Spirit, not to other parts of the world, but specifically to the United States. He was known for his work he did for those who Jesus would say is the least of these. He didn't take time for medical school like his brother. His life was reaching those on the street. Like his brother, he wasn't called to a specific church, as Big Bo was. No, Jesus told him in a dream to find him, and he did in every person he met. Joshua was so loved because he did love God first, and that naturally led to loving others well. The old preacher looked and felt as if he had walked out of the hospital like Lazarus, although not raised from the dead and out of the tomb, but out of his coma nonetheless. He shared with his brothers what the Lord had told him, and all three knew there would have to be another miracle, because before his heart attack the local church barred him from ever preaching again, because he preached the truth. It's not an idea or something that can be debated by some church committee or whatever the culture says it is. The truth was not determined by doctrine of men or demons, no matter how educated or enlightened they were. No, the truth is a person, and that is Jesus Christ, and that was too intolerant for the religious folks. The old pastor knew his time was short, for he was given the very day, hour, and minute of when he would see the Lord, which for him meant death. He knew he would need to call the church leadership. After all, they had a service already planned, and God was just about to interrupt their plans. Calvin said a simple prayer with his brothers and made a phone call, and in the natural it didn't matter if he would have raised from the dead as Jesus did, their hearts would remain closed. It would take God intervention to open the bolted door shut. When Calvin talked with the leaders of the corporation, which is what the church had become, it looked more like the temple Jesus chased the many changers out of. He had faith. However, he was expecting some resistance, and there was none. They accepted his self-invitation to preach tomorrow. He initially thought it was because he told them briefly what the message was going to be, his experience with white supremacy. What Calvin didn't know is that all the leadership of the corporation's wives, husbands, partners had dreams, and they were warned by an angel to not stop the pastor from preaching. At first they thought they were safe and agreed because the preacher was in a coma. But then the news of the miracle happened and he was alive. Well, let's just say they knew there wasn't a doghouse big enough for them to hide in if they refused their request. And those bedroom nights, they would have been as cold as frozen hamburger in the freezer. So the leadership agreed to his request before Calvin called them, for for God already had made a provision before Calvin knew he had the need. The leaders got together through their computers and consensus was monitoring the message. If Pastor Oakley would say anything remotely offending, they would signal, and the person running the soundboard would turn off the pastor's mic. No one would hear him. They were certain words he couldn't say in church, even though they were in the Bible. And if the pastor told him, security would haul him out of there. The Lord, however, didn't intend this message to be heard just in the church. The two daughters of Rig, Evette, named after her grandmother, and Sadie, named after Rig's best friend, a golden retriever, also had dreams. Before Pastor Oakley came out of his coma, the daughters knew the ins and outs of social media and set up live streaming event for the service. They had set monitors from the first day Pastor Oakley went into a coma. It was all caught on camera and tracked through YouTube. In fact, the social media world erupted when the pastor opened his eyes and then walked out of the hospital accompanied by his two brothers. When they announced he was going to preach tomorrow, cameras were at the ready. The news spread that that day online about tomorrow and the title of the sermon. The black pastor raised almost from the dead is going to give a message on white supremacy he lived through when he was growing up. The local news agencies picked that one up. That led to national news outlets as well. Even the President of the United States heard about it, and the buck didn't stop with him. Universities and corporations all followed suit. This was a black man talking about the KKK to the church. And all those who believed in systemic racism were all over this to support their ideology. The pastor, Big Bo to them, gave his brothers instructions from the Holy Spirit. Bring one item to the church. It was to be covered in such a way no one would know what it was. The old pastor then spent some time with Josh's black lap, and it sure looked like Shadow, the dog he, had, he grew up with. Rig and Joe explained that both their families have carried on the memory of Shadow, with Shadow too, and with Sadie with Sadie too. The dog seemed to understand and sense the man would be leaving soon. There was a knowing connection between dog and its human that can't be explained in words, but is truly a gift from heaven. Pastor Oakley looked at his brother. Let's go for a drive and take the dogs with us. So they piled into their old grandpa's truck and headed down the familiar road. They came up to a place where the old house stood. There was no sign of it. The new home was built in its place. I wonder if it's still there, said Rig. And they drove down to the lake and walked to the secret entrance of their tree fort. They then climbed the tree and peered into a place where they had escaped and hid until rescued by their brothers so long ago. Three sets of little eyes peered back at them with surprise, and there was two little eyes and a a sound of barking. The little boys with their black lab pups said, hey, this is our tree fort. The men shared the story of the place where they were all sitting in. The little boys' eyes widened. They said, we have good parents, and this is where we play. The men smiled at the little boys. Enjoy the tree fort. They got out of the tree and then drove home. Calvin returned to Riggs's house, where his wife Thelma was fixing them dinner, and Josh and his wife Sarah also joined them. Calvin said grace, and they enjoyed a meal and fellowship that none of them thought would be possible just a few hours ago. Grandpa would be proud of you, Big Bo, said his brothers. You took care of us. You taught us how to survive. Wouldn't have made it that night without you. And you got us new parents when our mom and dad died. Sure, we're grateful for you. Calvin stayed the night at his brother's house. It would be his last night on earth. He peered into the darkness, not afraid of dragon's fire to come, for the light inside him was greater than st- his strongest fear or rage. He then closed his eyes. It was morning. In a few short hours, he would be home. Calvin and his brothers arrived at the church early. The old pastor looked at his church. It had been pa- He had been pastor there for 35 years. He didn't recognize it when he walked inside the sanctuary. He was looking for the cross, and the pride flag was in front of it, almost blocking its view, along with the transgender flag. A man approached the old preacher. Well, biologically, he was created as a man, but he believed he was a woman. He was dressed as a drag queen. He was the nursery and youth pastor. I hope you will preach love as love, said the drag queen. It is the only message that is accepted in this church and by our God and with that he left, sat down in his dress, and crossed his legs. The church filled up way past capacity. The head ministers were wearing rainbow-colored collars instead of white ones, addressed the church. The service started with their welcome to Our Christ Church. We love everybody here in many ways, and the universal God we worship bids you to come and sing our first song, Somewhere Over the Rainbow. After the song ended, one of the pastors who identified his, with his pronouns him and her said we are the church that stands against intolerance of any kind, especially that question in someone's identity. Our God doesn't judge, and we do not preach hate. We are all God's children. He made us free to be whatever we want to be and do whatever we want to do, if it feels right to us, as long as it is done in love. Then the children's drag queen pastor came up with white makeup and big red lips. He had a unicorn on his head, an attire more fitting for a strip show than for church. There was about 30 children, and some wore makeup and others dressed in furry costumes, identified as cats and dogs. There was even a child eating cheese who identified as a hamster, which caused the drag queen to cry as her mascara ran, and then a squeal of delight. She said, God created all of you to decide who you are, and Jesus smiles when you experiment with all sorts of creation. It's all for you. The drag queen read the story of Goldilocks and the three bears, blessed the kids in the name of a female deity that actually, if you went back in time, was a goddess whose worshippers back in the day gave tributes through orgies. And the kids went to their Sunday school class. Their parents were so proud of them being willing to follow God. Other parents were not so happy, but they were silent and lived in fear of man, not the fear of God. The kids were excused for Sunday school and they met with the drag queen who said to them, that version of the story was for the parents to hear, but here's the real meaning of the story that only children will be able to understand. Goldilocks went to her first bed, which represented her identity as a girl because she had biological girl parts, but it didn't feel right, so she thought, as she thought of herself as a girl. Then she went to the next bed, and it represented a boy identity, and she felt that fitter better, but something was still missing. So when she got to the third bed, she found she was actually a boy, but she could feel good being a boy or with girls, and that fit her just right. So she told her drag queen youth leader and kept his, and kept the secret, just as the drag queen had told her to do so. The drag queen talked her to her school teacher, and soon she visited a nurse and was promised she would eventually have surgery, that would, and she would be just like a boy. But by then, her little body would be ready. But she had to be patient. And in the meantime, there would be plenty of reading material for her to learn about the exploration God wanted her to do. She would have a lot of playmates, and if she was good, she could play with the furries, which were children dressed up like animals and other older furries who wanted to play as well. The kids who had been in the Sunday school class were older. They already understood that puberty, if you're uncomfortable in any way in your body, it's proof you're in the wrong one. And as a result, those who benefited from their quote-unquote health care were the pharmaceutical companies with hormone blockers. These kids were worth a fortune, and then other d- industries could have them as well. The second drag queen looked at Pastor Oakley with suspicion, and then said, "Ah, my beautiful free spirits, we are fortunate today to have the old preacher back for his last message before he retires. As you know, Pastor Oakley came out of a coma, and his message for us is on white supremacy. Let us put our hands together any way you wish." and welcome Pastor Calvin Oakley. Many of the audience didn't say anything, but those who came to hear the word of the Lord were ready to receive it. The church looked like a celebrity show instead of a place of worship. Pastor Calvin's words would change that. Those who remember this message long after would say it was the church, uh, Moses, and uh, and Korah moment, or Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Pastor Oakley started the message by praying for the presence of the Holy Spirit. After that prayer, what looked like tongues of fire was over his head, and when he spoke, it sounded like many waters, like thunder throughout the church. The pastor asked the church how many of them would say that Jesus is their Savior and Lord. Many hands were raised. The pastor looked at them and said in in the church, when he grew up, they had many members and even pastors who were in the KKK say the very same thing. The crowd was quiet. Pastor Oakley continued, The KKK entered the church because of self-righteous pride. They weren't following Christ. They were following themselves as God. But because they said, Thus says the Lord, they walked with the authority of heaven, and heaven didn't give it to them. It is easy to be prejudiced and condemn and hate and treat others less when they don't look like you. Back then, peddlers of hate focused on blacks having the mark of Cain because it was the color of your skin our skin, because at that time, white people and their white gods saw themselves as supreme. The pastor was just getting warmed up, and then he said, if your God looks like you, sounds like you, feels like you, imagines like you, and rubber stamps everything you do, who are you worshiping? Who is your God? Now, many who came to church drank from that fountain over there. Imagine having to drink from a separate water fountain that was for color folk's only because your lips were so polluted to them, they believed you would contaminate their water supply just drinking it. I remember not being that old and told it when I had to pee, I couldn't use the bathroom in the gas station. I had to walk over to the hardware store, hanging on for dear life, and in the far back was this pot I could pee in and it said colored people only. Even my pee was offensive to them. I remember watching my little brother, who kept young, who kept a young child from falling, and hurting herself by catching her. Not be thanked by her dad, but pushed to the ground and threatened if he ever touched his daughter again, he would wish he wouldn't have been born. When you leave here and nighttime comes, are you afraid? Because when I was growing up, there was a curfew, and if you were caught out past, anything could happen to you. My dad told me how his brother just disappeared one night. He was just a teenager at the time. Back then the clan was the mayor. Many war... Police uniforms. They were business owners, preachers, and teachers, and doctors and lawyers and service station workers. Just about in every profession in the town I grew up in had a clan member representing it. And I look at this church and you celebrate diversity. There's no such thing as churches back then, for whites were on the finer side of town and churches for the blacks on the poor side of town. Now I remember when the Great Dragons Fire burned through our city, many of the black churches were destroyed. We had our church meetings in my grandpa's yard. He was also a preacher. Now I hear a lot about racism and prejudice towards blacks. I hear a lot of talking about how bad this country is and how systematic racism and the black man or woman or kids are so oppressed, rich white folks must bail them out. Do you know what oppression is? You don't know what oppression is. Believing you're oppressed, no matter who tells you, that is speaking the KKK language. You are freer than most black people who have been throughout history. Stop believing the lie. God did not make you a tale. I marched with Reverend King. I faced the dogs on the Selma Bridge. I felt those fire hoses and the beatings. And we brought forth the civil rights through peaceful demonstration. And change was slow, but it happened. We're not there yet, but we're far closer than we were before. And it is an insult to your forefathers who trusted in God to give away your rights and to say that we haven't made progress. We worked hard, so many beaten, many died for you to take your freedom and your so-called oppression and go burn down cities and loot them in the name of racial justice. We brought, we brought you civil rights, not to be uncivilized and act like you have no sense. Why well, I watched those so-called protests and the Klan would be cheering you on, burn down the black businesses, burn down your communities you might as well have put a flaming cross on the ground and fired your guns. If you're going to use your freedom for lawlessness, you don't understand what your God-given freedom is for. When I look at the riots, you know who I see? Dragon's Fire, which is self-righteous hatred. And it was the fuel of the Klan. The Klan celebrated black-on-black murder. And you're still blaming the white man. The Klan celebrates the murder of black babies but you don't have enough common sense to keep it in your pants, or you women to guard your virtue. No, now I hear songs about celebrating sex like it's something to be worshipped, and your future is sacrificed with every baby murdered. What kind of people kill their future and then blame someone else because they're so oppressed? You have no idea how far you've fallen. Now I look at the church and I see a new religion. Not one of Christ, but using Christ's name, just like the clan did. And I see the same supremacy ideology, only the sheets in the hoods of the Klan aren't just white, they are colors of the rainbow. With that, the sound booth was signaled to turn off the mic. But something happened that can only be described as supernatural, a move of God. The sound didn't turn off, it got louder. And the cameras were rolling and streaming services and the networks tried to stop the transmission, and the broadcast only got stronger. And soon the message the pastor was preaching was being heard in every city in the United States and throughout the world, Even in the remotest villages, the pastor's voice was heard without any technology. The Lord God Jesus Christ will not be mocked by your religion that promotes your sin over his truth. Now, I'm going to share with you a familiar Bible passage. It's in the Gospel. A woman was caught in adultery in the midst of committing the act. Half naked, she was dragged out into the street and thrown to the ground. Imagine, you're in the midst of your sexual sin and thrown out in the street half naked. Now here a lot of folks say when they listen to this passage they focus on those with the rocks. I have heard it said, see Jesus doesn't judge us because you without sin cast the first stone. And they talk about God's mercy to this woman, but they don't finish what it says. Does it say go and sin some more? I want to repeat that. Does it say go and sin some more? No it doesn't. What does it do? what does he say? He says, go and sin no more. You notice what Jesus doesn't do that's happening in this church and churches all around this country? He does not say, go and commit more adultery because that's who you are. He doesn't say, go make yourself a flag and call it pride because your sin is an identity. Imagine your marriage and a husband and you, when you were caught with adultery. And he said to his wife, I can't help myself. It's my identity. By the way, here's my flag. Do you know what she would do with that flag? You have taken sinful behavior, made it an identity, and justified it, pried it, and now demand others call you what you feel you are, not how God created you. You were sacred, made in the image of God, and you've traded the image of men for women, and women for men, or for animals, or for whatever your dark and foolish minds think. You're living in an earthly slum of your mind and not as children of God. You're lusting, and you say, I can't help myself. It's who I am. Well, here's your flag. Are you having sex out of marriage? Here's your, It's your identity. Here's your flag. Are you having sex with children because you're born that way? Here's your flag. Are you carrying around dragon's fire and burning in hatred? Here's your flag. Do you teach your children to castrate your, themselves? Here's your flag. God will not be mocked. Here is the gravest mistake. You choose identity, sin as your identity, instead of identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That choice keeps you from repenting. And without repentance, you can't access this cross for your redemption. And the devil says to you, here's your flag. The adversary has deceived you, and I realize some of you sincerely believe you're represented by this flag for your identity, but your sincerity does not make you right in the eyes of God, no matter how you try to dress up sin. Calvin, like a prophet of old, called out each church member for their sin that was unrepentant. He then said, Do you think our triune God allowed himself to be crucified on the cross for your sins, for you to masquerade yourself as Christians, To make up a God? To have him do whatever you want him to do to include change your sacred created bodies and of your children? Do you think that prostituting yourself, the church in the name of a made up definition of love, is love will honor God? Do you think sacrificing your children out of convenience because your lust burns from one another, Jesus will look the other way? Then Pastor Oakley looked at the leadership of the church to include the drag queen pastors. How many children have been sacrificed by your lust? How many children are keeping a secret that their little bodies are being prepared for sex when they should be learning about God in church? Pastor Oakley continued, Those who sold their soul to the corporation... For 90 pieces of silver? Do you think Father God was looking the other way? You all are worse than the hypocrites. You caused my little ones to stumble, says the Lord. And if that wasn't enough, you traded the cross of my redemption for your souls for a flag of colors representing Father God's mercy and change it into a rainbow just to justify your sin? Have you no shame? The Lord God is giving you a choice. Those for him. Those who say Jesus is your Lord and Savior, repent and get on your knees before the Lord and weep to heaven. And many in the church did just that, and around the world the conviction of the Holy Spirit fell on the earth. There was a great wailing of repentance from the four corners of the globe. Pastor Calvin waited until the appointed time and said, Stand up, and those of you who repented, and go to the right side of this church and hurry. The Lord's judgment is about to fall. Now for those who are unrepentant, believe their sin is their identity, who bow their allegiance to these flags, go to your left. The Lord God is giving you one last opportunity to repent for your sins. Though they are as red as scarlet, they will be made as white as snow. You must choose. To not to decide is still a choice. Judgment starts with the church, and there will be a great shaking, and we are told in the book of Hebrews, God will not be mocked. The pastor called out the church to condemn its idolatry and its leaders who have been taking God's name who celebrates difference to a God who condones immorality of behavior in the name of identity. Then the pastor gave his final gospel message and turned to Jesus for forgiveness for your sins. Give up your false gods, including yourself, for the Lord God will not share his throne with anyone. Josh on cue brought out the object with a blanket over it. The pastor then preached from the book of Revelations, and took the cover off the object, and standing before them was a golden lampstand. The pastor said, I have thus fulfilled the word of the Lord, and the lampstand disappeared. Christ has removed his lampstand from the fallen church, and a violent earthquake shook the building. And for those who turned away from God to worship their version of the golden calf, the ground opened, swallowing them alive with all of their flags, into the abyss as the ground closed. Then a shout, a trumpet blast, was heard from around the world. Those who gave their lives to Jesus just disappeared. They were gone. Pastor Calvin and the rest of the believers all over the world found themselves standing before the Lord for a large golden lampstand. They passed by it and saw heavenly beings, myriads of them, everywhere were crying out, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord. There they saw the Lamb of God. There were no words to be spoken. Nothing could capture their soul's desire. They stood in awe and then fell to the ground to worship Jesus. How long they knelt before him is not known. The sea of believers was more vast than the oceans, and the love that filled each one of them was enough for eternity. On earth, when the Spirit of God took home his church, the spirit of lawlessness filled the earth. Dragon's fire filled the earth. Those who remained were in such shock, they were unaware the Christ followers were gone. The story on the local media mentioned that a great abduction by aliens who met with world leaders to remove this Christian cancer from the world. The fact they were gone wasn't proof of the promise of God, but evidence that they were the real enemy, and that the aliens had sanitized the earth for the superior humans, and if you were left, you were supreme people. The earth had a party unlike in the the days of Noah. There was more evil done in the name of entertainment, free will, feelings, and just plain primal lust. And all ungodly passion poured through them like cesspools, and the odor of their sin filled the earth. Calvin heard these words from the Lord. You who do evil, keep doing evil. You who burn for each other with dragon's fire, keep doing so. You who murder, keep murdering. You who harm little ones, Those who live in perversion keep being perverted. Continue, for my great day of wrath and judgment is here. Calvin looked at the Lord. He had not heard so much compassion, truth, and righteous judgment come from anyone's lips like this. The Lord looked at Calvin at the same time, every believer, and said individually to each one, well done, good and faithful servant, enter your rest. Time now was not a parameter of reality, and after they all worshipped, Calvin walked to his new home, and waiting for him was his wife. His son, grandpa, grandma, mom, dad, and generations upon generations of believers and their families and a beautiful shiny black lab named Shadow with Sadie, a brown lab, by his side, for dogs also have a place in heaven. Calvin walked with his brothers to a great pool of water that reflected off the real rainbow, and soon like that, hot humid summer day when they were just boys in alabama he and his two brothers and their dog shadow ran and jumped off the dock went under the water they came out splashing around they were home all were home for eternity with jesus holy spirit and god the father the final battle in their lives was over but the war between heaven and the devil was about to unfold just as it's foretold in the book of revelations I've so enjoyed bringing you this mini-series. It's hard to say goodbye to Calvin, Reg, and Josh, and their dog Shadow. Maybe that's why I waited so long to end the series. They become like family to me. But it's time to close this chapter. But it doesn't have to be the end for you. Right now, if you pray to give your life to Jesus, you could start your own new chapter for eternity with Him. Because Jesus loves you, and there's no truth or love without Christ. I pray that you would surrender what this world says your identity is, and understand that He made you in His image. He gave His life for you to be in a relationship with Him. And there's nothing greater. There's nothing this world has. There's no definition that can compare to that. So I ask Holy Spirit now for you to come and touch lives. I just pray for you guys. Not from a place of self-righteousness. Not from a place I'm better than you or looking down at you. or I'm supreme in any way. I'm a sinner that God opened his eyes so I could accept his grace. I live by his definition. I pray you would too. For who the sun sets free is free indeed, and you were created to be loved, not by the world's definition, but by the God that created you. Amen.